0: Two weeks ago, I taught a lesson called Unstoppable Community. You may not have known that was the title, but that was the title. And we talked about how you guys are really good at creating this sense of community and how the church is called to be this place where we gather together and we are a family. Remember, we looked at Acts 2 and how the early church, like they, they did life together, right? They, they, we looked at how they were devoted to uh, the study of God's word, to prayer, to, to breaking bread, which was just churchy for eating together. Fellowship and those things, right? And we talked about how they exemplified what God wanted for the church and how we should act as a youth group, right? Like it's one thing to be a part of a church that does that, but... Even if our church doesn't do that, which our church does a really good job of being a good community, but whether our church does that or not as a youth group, we have to be our own community, right? We have to be a group and a body of believers doing the things that God has called us to do. And if we're truly doing this, like if we're truly achieving this point where we are this unstoppable community, then we have to realize the impact that we can have on this world because... We are, we, or we carry an unstoppable message, and so today we're going to talk about this unstoppable message, but, and I think it's really cool, because Jacob talked about this last week, he kept using the word impact, like the impact that he had, and that's like one of my, like, hot-button words that I talk about when I talk about youth ministry, is my goal as a youth pastor is obviously to help any student that comes through my youth ministry grow spiritually, right? But, one of the ways that i can measure that is by the impact that i've had on that student right and we think of impact as like i don't know what 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 do you guys think of when you hear the word impact I think it's like, something like cars crashing or something yeah okay or like a fist hitting a face okay okay so i'm going to be honest every time every time i hear the word impact what i picture is like a meteor or something like crashing into the moon and leaving a crater like I think of like not the actual like uh, hear me out. I don't think of necessarily the moment of impact, but I think of the result, right? Like if you think about if you think about like an asteroid hitting the moon, right? Yes, there's this momentary impact, but the crater is left there forever, Right. Yes? yes. Okay. All right. Let's all focus here. We got it. We can do this. Okay. But when an asteroid hits, yes, there is a momentary impact, but the moon or the surface of the moon is forever changed. Right. And so when I look at the way that I try to focus my ministry is like, guys, realistically, I only get to have at the most students in my youth ministry for six years. And obviously I just came to this church a couple of years ago. And for some of you guys, you're already about to leave the youth ministry. And so like that time that I get to make an impact in your life is not very long. Like in the in the grand spectrum of your whole life, six years is not very much. Right? And so I have a momentary impact, but I strive for it to leave something that leaves you forever changed. Right? Does that make sense? And so when I look at this idea of impact, I I love that word and it's really something that I strive for in student ministry. So I love that he brought that up. But If we are this unstoppable community, we can take this unstoppable message and make it have impact with people who are outside of our community. Not necessarily our community or our town, but our community as a church. But we can use this message to make an impact with them and make them be forever changed. But when I think about trying to convey a message, okay, there's always challenges. If you guys didn't know this... My undergrad degree, or my bachelor's degree from OU, is in communication, and so basically, I know how to talk really well. No, really? <laughs> just kidding. What? That's not what you talk about. But it talks all about how people relate to one another. It's 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 really a complicated degree. Like it's really simple, but it's complex at the same time. But anyway, um, one of the things we talk about is that everyone communicates through channels, right? So the channel can be if I text you our phone or texting is the channel. If I talk to you, our voices is the channel. If I write something, you know, my, you know, paper and pen and my handwriting is the channel. So there's always a channel that is relaying information and no matter what the channel, there's always some form of interference. Okay. You can even like, you can have the clearest, the clearest channel of communication, but there's always some level of interference. And when I think about one of the biggest things that affects, pretty much all of us today, is our ability to stay focused, which it's kind of ironic that tonight you guys are being really chatty. That was halfway joke, halfway serious, but, uh, gotcha. Um, no, but we all get distracted, right? No. Were you distracted right then? No, okay. We all get distracted, right? Yeah. Yes, okay. And you know, I've been, I've been reading lately that they say that hu- the human attention span has actually, the average human attention span has actually dropped recently from 12 seconds to eight seconds, which seems really short. But if you think about really focusing on one thing, like even eight seconds seems like a long time to really like think of, when you start thinking about something for eight seconds is when you start to like your eyes glaze over and you start like drooling and people go, what is wrong with him? Like that's when you're focusing on something for eight seconds. But we have a problem as humans, like all of us, at staying focused on things for long periods of time. And the more often, more often than not, this is not a big deal, right? Like, okay, so I can't focus on something for more than 10 seconds, okay? That's not the biggest deal ever in most situations. But you know, like if you're writing an essay or something, this was me, like I'm not good at English. And I hate writing papers and stuff, but like if you're writing an essay and then you're like, all of a sudden you start talking about not what the essay's about. You just start talking about other things like and like Haley was really good at English. So she would always read my papers in college and stuff and like edit them. But like she would read them and she'd be like, why are you talking about your dog? And I'm like, because the book's about a dog and I was trying to relate to it. And she's like, no, you just start talking about your dog instead of talking about the dog in the book. Whatever. But so... We lose our attention, yeah, (laughs) I did have a dog. Um, So we might lose our attention that, or maybe you're doing a math problem, and that's more my speed, but you get to the end and you've been doing this math problem for a long time and you lose focus a little bit and you make a mistake, okay? Or, you know, so there's a lot of times where maybe losing focus and not being at our best is not that big of a deal. And then there's other times where it is a big deal, like if you are pulling up to a stoplight and you lose focus that all the cars in front of you stop and you keep going, like, that's a problem, okay? Like, that's a big deal, right? So there's moments where losing our focus is not a big deal, which is most of the time, and there's times when losing our focus is a really big deal. And, and, and I think we struggle with this, right? Sometimes we can't differentiate between the times where we really need to focus hard and times when we don't need to focus hard, right? Because we understand we understand like the extremes, right? We understand when we really don't need to focus that much, when we can like zone out, and we know when we like really need to be like at our best focused, and we can do that, but it's these gray areas in between. And I think that for a lot of us, this is kind of where our relationship with God falls is in this somewhere in between, right? And so we we sometimes lose our ability to focus on God, Because we just view it as another one of these times where if we lose focus, that's okay. You know, it's not that big of a deal. But what we have to remember is that this message of the gospel of Jesus is something that should be leaving an impact on us. It shouldn't be something that like, oh, we have this momentary impact with it. But then we just like don't focus on it. It should be something that... When we come into contact, when we have this moment of impact with the gospel of Jesus, it should be something that radically and forever changes our life. And so tonight we're going to look at not only this message of the gospel, this unstoppable message that we're looking at, but we're going to really look at kind of the, the strategy or the way that, that Peter in the early church shared this message with those who maybe doubted the message. So we're going to be in Acts 2 again tonight, which again, if you've uh, never read the book of Acts... If you're ever wondering what the church should act like, should be like, should resemble, read the book of Acts. It's all about the the early church and how it got its start. But we're looking at Peter here, who was really, we look back to the time when Jesus changes Peter's name to Peter because it means like a stone or rock. And he says, on this rock, I will build my church. And he wasn't talking about like on some sort of like, he wasn't pointing at a rock. He was talking to Peter and he says, on you, I will build my church. And so Peter was really like the first preacher, I guess. He was one of the main teachers of the early church. But we're going to look at the way that he shared the gospel with people in the early church. And so we're going to start in Acts 2, starting in verse 22. Says men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him and you yourselves know this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross but God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep hold of him okay so I don't know about you guys but when I think about trying to share the gospel with someone, I don't usually try to accuse them of murder. Okay. So like, really, this is what Peter's doing here. He was like, listen, Jesus is the son of God and you killed him. Okay. Like to me, I'd be like, that doesn't sound like the best strategy, Peter. Maybe we should try something else. But in this moment, we have to realize the context that that Peter and the apostles were starting the early church and it was starting to become like a movement, right? It was starting to be, it was starting to grow it was starting to take hold. But then naturally when stuff like that happens, there grows a group of people who begin to oppose it. Okay. And, And this group of people began to oppose the church and began to ask questions about them. And Peter was put in this position to stand up. To these people to rise against the people who were trying to uh, oppress the early church and he didn't allow you know and I think for many of us like let's just be honest for a second we live in a society that sometimes it feels like Christianity is oppressed right like it, it feels like if you guys walked into your schools or walked into your social circles and were just like openly like yeah i'm a christian it is what it is like i love jesus and i'm going to preach you about like that you could be ridiculed i'm not saying you would be maybe you have a really good friend group and maybe your school is way different than i think it is but i feel like most of us would feel like professing our faith publicly could potentially lead to us being ridiculed i got kicked out of a group chat because i was christian there you go Okay, maybe I'm not wrong. Maybe I'm not crazy. Okay, but a lot of times we allow this like fear of public pressure or this idea of being socially outcast to it allows us to be distracted from God's message. Right. And God's message is the love of Jesus that he came and he died for us. Right. We're going to hear that over and over. So just get used to that. okay? because we're talking about this message tonight. But that is the message of God is this message of salvation. But yet we allow ourselves to be distracted. We allow ourselves to lose focus because of the opinions of other people. And Peter didn't do this, right? Like in the face of adversity, in the face of oppression, he, he remained focused on this message and he remained focused on sharing the gospel. And he really did it in kind of three steps. And we're going to look at these three steps and kind of how we did it. And we're going to kind of look at how we can maybe use these same steps to use this gospel to impact the people in our social circle. So first... He addressed the heart of the crowd. Second, he explained how Jesus was handed over to be crucified. And third, he taught that his death and resurrection were part of God's plan from the beginning. And I know those are like like big steps. It's not like pray, talk, and go. Like something simple. But like these are the three steps that Peter followed. And we're going to look at how we can realistically... Apply these to our lives. So I'm I'm going to say these again. So if you're taking notes, this is your chance to write. One, he addressed the heart of the crowd. Two, he explained how Jesus was handed over to be crucified. And three, he taught that Jesus' death and resurrection was part of God's plan from the beginning. Again, he addressed the heart of the crowd. He explained how Jesus was handed over to be crucified. And he, he taught that Jesus' death and resurrection was God's plan from the beginning. So we're going to read now a little bit more of Peter talking, and this is still in Acts 2, skipping ahead to verses 32. And he says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit has poured out that now you see and hear. Skipping ahead to verse 36, he says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Okay, so this is really weird, right? Like, why would he say that God made Jesus Lord and Christ? Like, so a little context here. The people that he was speaking to and talking to right now were Romans and the Romans at this time, they worshiped Caesar. Okay, like a healthy, unhealthy, uh, like an unhealthy Worshipping of a political leader, but they worshiped Caesar in the highest, they worshiped him as Lord in the highest sense. Not that they thought he was a deity, but they, they realized that, that Lord was like the highest honor you could give someone. And so they worship him as that. And, and they didn't necessarily worship him because he deserved it, but they worshiped him because he demanded it of them, right? And you actually look at. I know everyone in here was like, I hate history, but we're just doing a little history lesson real quick. In 186 AD, Polycarp was forced to renounce Jesus and proclaim Caesar as his Lord. And he did that. But then he ultimately went back on it and he said, he, as in God, never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who hath saved me? And because of this, because he stood up and wouldn't praise Caesar in the higher sense and instead gave God that glory, he was burned alive and pierced with a sword. Okay, so this was not, again, something that was optional at this point. Like, people didn't worship Caesar because they really liked him. They worshiped him because if they didn't, they would be killed. The term Lord was not, at this time, synonymous with Jesus. Like, now if I walked up to someone and been like... Yeah, my Lord. I think most people would assume I was talking about Jesus or whatever my religion was, you know, like but most people would probably think I was talking about Jesus, but that word hasn't always been synonymous. And that's why Peter, right here, says that Jesus is both Lord and Christ, or some of your versions may even say Messiah, okay, because they were two different things. And he was really driving home the point that Jesus is God. So he's Messiah, he is God, but he is the one true Lord over all. And and he is worthy of our praise, and our desire should be towards him. And so what happens as a result of Peter saying these things? So skipping ahead to verse 37, it says, When people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when we look at what Peter said, okay, going back to what we said to remember, remember at the very beginning, he, he called them essentially murderers. And then he talked about how that Jesus was Christ and Lord over their life. And then he turned it on its head in that moment, and he, they said, what should we do? When their hearts were broken of this, he said, what should we do? And he told them that you need to ask for forgiveness and be saved. And, and so in this moment, the reason that they turn and they ask, what shall we do, is because Peter, by saying this, he broke their hearts. Like, we think of, like, breaking hearts as, like, if you have a boyfriend or girlfriend, and they break up with you, you're like, oh, I'm broken hearted. But, like... If if you do something wrong, I think about this with my kids all the time. Like they'll do something wrong, and I will, I'll like get onto them, and before I'm even done getting onto them, they'll start crying because they feel bad for what they've done. No, sometimes it is that. Yes, but no, genuinely, like I can tell the difference. You can tell the difference, but. They feel bad that they have done this thing wrong and they're broken hearted that they've disappointed me and that they've done something wrong. And, and I think that this is what the crowd felt at this moment when Peter was calling them out and saying, hey, look, you took this person that God sent to save you and you handed him over to the people who wanted to kill him so that he would be murdered. And this broke their hearts And I think uh, there's a song, I'm trying to think, uh, I'm trying to think of how the song goes. Uh, I can't think of it right now, but there's one line in the song um, where it's talking about Jesus being led off to be crucified. And the line says, ashamed, I hear my mocking voice, call out among the scoffers. Does anyone know that song? Okay. Um, Anyway, but... Every time I hear that song, and I think, like, imagine being there when Jesus was being walked through the city streets to be crucified. And, and like, you're just there as a witness. And then all of a sudden you see yourself there. And you see yourself yelling for him to be killed. And you start to realize that the reason that you're yelling for him to be killed is because you are the way that you live your life and the sins that you commit in your life are honestly what sent Jesus to that cross. Like every time I hear that song and I think about like my voice calling out saying to crucify Jesus and, and, and that's a representation of my sins against him, like it, it like genuinely breaks my heart. Like it's it almost makes me sick to my stomach. And I think that that's where these people were when Peter was calling them out for this and saying these things. They were truly broken and convicted over their actions. And so when we look at this idea of sharing this message and these steps that I talked about, the first thing is you have to get to people's heart. And I'm not saying go just yelling their sins at them, trying to make them convicted. But that starts with you have to get to their heart in a, in a sensitive way, right? You have to build a relationship with them. Like it's really We talk about this all the time. It's really hard to share the gospel with people you don't have a relationship with. You have to build a relationship with them. Get to their heart. And then you have the opportunity to... This sounds so horrible. But you have the opportunity to break their heart. Okay? Because you have to break their heart before God can repair their heart. Because you have to show them the conviction... Of their sinful actions. And, and you know, the, this is one of the biggest negative things that people say about Christians is that they only focus on condemnation and like calling out people's sin and being judgmental and that they're hypocritical because they want to call out other people's sin but not focus on their own sin. And, and guys, let me just like debunk that for you right now because just because I may call out one of you guys for your sinful actions, that doesn't mean that I never sin. What it does mean is that I'm trying to help you. I'm not condemning you. I'm trying to show you love by helping you not do these things that you shouldn't be doing. The the message of the gospel is designed to convict the heart more than it is to condemn the soul. But people view this conviction of the heart as someone trying to condemn them because they don't want to hear it. But condemnation brings a general feeling of hopelessness and fear because of our, sh- our sin and our shortcomings. Realizing that, oh my goodness, like you hear people say all the time that Christians just walk around saying, because you're a sinner, you're going to hell. Okay? That's condemnation. And it le- this idea of going to hell is a hopeless and a fear that we have. But conviction... On the other hand, what we should strive for as Christians is not to condemn people, but to convict them of their sin. And this brings an awareness of sins, attitudes, habits in our life that are in need of changing. And so whenever I have a conversation with anyone, whether it's a student, an adult, whoever... And I'm talking to them about maybe the things that they're doing wrong or the sins that they have in their life. I'm never, ever, ever trying to condemn them and be like, oh my gosh, because of these things you've done, you're a horrible person. You're going to hell. You're, you're condemned. No, I'm trying to get them to realize that, hey, these things that you're doing are not good. They're not right. They're not healthy for you. I'm trying to get you to realize that, to get you to be convicted, to, to break your heart so that God can come in and repair it. <clears throat> and so that's when you can talk about the second step, which is explaining how Jesus was handed over to be crucified, right? Like, so we've gotten to this point where you've, you've got to their heart, you've cut to their heart, you explain how Jesus was handed over to be crucified. And then ultimately, the last thing is you explain that his death and his resurrection was part of God's plan to save you because we are all sinful people. That we all need to be convicted of our sin. And that Jesus' death was the one to cover all of it. When these people asked Peter what what they should do. When they were broken and he said, listen... Jesus is Lord over all. He is the Lord over your life and he died this sin for you. They were brokenhearted and they realized this and they turned to Peter and they said, what should we do? And he looked at them and he said, repent and be baptized. And guys, I'm just going to tell you right now, we're not going to go into a whole thing on this. We can talk about it later if you want. But baptism is nothing special that saves you. Okay? The important part of this is the repentance. Being truly sorry For what you've done and asking God to forgive you, but not just to forgive you because it's one thing to like do something wrong, ask for forgiveness and do it again. But it's repentance with the intention of changing the way that you live your life, asking God for forgiveness and committing to live your life in a better way. And then baptism is simply an external way of showing people the decision you've made. In this moment, Peter was demonstrating to them how salvation and obedience are woven together. Literally, if you look at the Greek word for repentance, it literally means to change in a different direction. So, so giving your life to Christ and repenting of your sins does, again, not just mean that you ask for forgiveness and then you just keep doing what you're doing. But it means that you repent from your sins, you ask for forgiveness, and you obediently surrender to God to change the course of your life to serve him. And like I said, baptism is just an outward sign of these things so that so that people like me and people in your community that we talked about can help keep you accountable. And if you've been baptized into the faith, then every single person in this room that's also been baptized has a responsibility to call you out when you're not living the life that God has called you to live. And if you're not doing that, that's just as bad on that person as it is on you. So don't ever be angry if someone in here calls you out for something. Man, it's hard. I've had to call out friends that are doing things like some of my good friends from church. And I hear them start like cussing up a storm and like like being mean to people. And doing all these things that they know they shouldn't be doing. And to go, hey, man, you know you're not supposed to be acting like that. That's hard to do. But it's our responsibility as a community to make sure we stay focused on this idea of serving God. And repenting from our sins and turning from this. And that all of this rolled up together is this unstoppable message. It's, it's not just the gospel. It is the gospel, but it's not just the gospel, but it's the gospel. And it's the impact that it has and the permanent change that it leaves on people. Guys, the, the gospel and this moment of salvation, this moment of repentance is not a momentary impact it's not like when we think of impact, we think of just that moment. It's not just that. It's the, it's the change that happens. Right? It's the permanent change that is left in your life. Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is Christ. And when we acknowledge that, truly acknowledge that. That he has authority over our lives, that we do not have authority over our own life, that Jesus has authority over our lives. And we turn from our sins and start to live a life in a different direction than the sinful one that we were leading. That is when we've truly grasped on to this unstoppable message of the gospel. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this message. Thank you so much for your forgiveness and your grace that you show us when we don't deserve it. We don't earn it. We don't have any right to be forgiven by you, God. But yet you just you pour out your grace and your love on us so much. And and God, I pray for anyone in here who is living a life not devoted to you right now that God that they would be convicted of their sins, that they would be convicted of the actions that they do against you and that you would break their heart tonight. That you would help them to realize that they need to repent those sins to you and turn from them so that they can lead the life that you have called them to live, God. I pray that you would just just work in the lives of these students tonight. Help them to grow in you. Help them to be impacted and forever changed by your gospel. God, we love you. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us. And it is in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen.